0: In her memoir called *The Liar's Club, Mary Carr tells of a Texas uncle who remained married to his wife but did not speak to her for 40 years after a fight over how much money she spent on sugar. One day he took out a lumber saw and sawed their house exactly in half. True story. One side for him and one side for his wife. There the two, husband and wife, lived out the rest of their days in separate half-houses. Another book called The Knot of Vipers tells a story of an old man who spends the last decades, decades of his marriage, sleeping down the hall from his wife. A rift had opened 30 years before over whether the husband showed enough concern when their five-year-old daughter fell ill. And now, neither husband nor wife is willing to take the first step, and every night he waits for her to approach him, but she never appears, and every night she lies awake waiting for him to approach her, and he never appears. Neither will break the cycle that began years before, neither will forgive. stories like this go on and on. I mean, we, we all of us know stories either from our past and our family or from the churches that we've been involved in in the past that uh, literally the fuel of the entire thing was built upon this unforgiveness, this bitterness that can develop in relationships, especially when we get into conflict with each other. All of us are fairly familiar with these stories. Maybe many of you come out of families and stories like this. Hmm. And for some reason, the crazy thing about it is, is that we really can't even, un- we, <laughs> we're really not that different in the church. Isn't it true? It, I mean, it's not like we're different, even though the way of life given to us in the gospel, what we read in the scriptures, we're called to live a very inverted lifestyle, a very different way that we go about things. We value different things. The whole ethic of the gospels is Jesus is a complete ethic of inversion. He tells us that, you know, I want the world to know that about me in the way that you just love each other and the way that you are with each other. And yet we have stepmom and daughter that hate each other. We have stepdad and son that hate each other. We have, we have people like you and I that many of us here grown up in the church. We still hate. We still have a lot of bitterness in our lives over whatever stupid conflict that took place seven, eight years ago, year ago, month ago. We're not going to talk to her, or we're not going to talk to him, or it could be about my husband, or it could be about my friend. And get and, and I'll, I'll tell you what a lot of times it's about is it's about church people. The people that we're in around here. It's almost as if many of us think that the people that are in our church and in our community are actually people that we get to choose, and we all want them to not stink like us. We all want them to be perfect little soldiers, perfect little robots. Yet many of us grew up in that kind of environment in the church where we kind of grew up this little Stepford Christians, perfect in all of our ways, right? But for some reason, this scripture today is really rough because we're we're reading here about what happens to Paul in Acts chapter 9 and what Barnabas does for Paul. But before we get onto that, this whole idea of conflict and how we handle it, I want want you to make a comment and just listen to this and I'd, I'd like to know what you think about it. This is out of Crabb's book, uh, Becoming a True Spiritual Community, and he says this. Spiritual communities understand that. They understand that the presence of conflict, listen now, that the presence of conflict does not define unspiritual community. Just as the absence of conflict is no proof of spiritual community. Were some of you raised in those kind of families? Which is this, if there's conflict, if there's problems, then obviously we're not being a good family. Many of us have that kind of presupposition, right? The difference between spiritual and unspiritual community is not whether conflict exists. It is rather in our attitude toward it and our approach to handling it. When conflict is seen as an opportunity to draw more fully on spiritual resources, did you get that? When conflict is seen as an opportunity to draw more fully on spiritual resources, we have the makings of spiritual community. Do you follow that? Conflict is latent in every human relationship at every at every moment. It simply awaits a trigger to get it going. Self-occupied passions, the kind that when released generate conflict, are in each of us, simmering beneath our sociable exteriors. They include the tendency to play it safe, to require comfort or attention, to focus on our open wounds more than on our opportunity to give, to demand an immediate fullness that God won't always provide. What he's basically saying there is this. We are a conflicted people. And many of us, even here, are kind of have triggers. We're ready to kind of get into conflict the drop of a hat And I am amazed this is really interesting because I this scripture i I this is what we're preaching on this week, but I got to tell you something. I am absolutely <laughs> Shattered by in our marriages here And in the way that we are with each other here in the church I am absolutely shattered by the lack of maturity that we have in dealing with our differences it's really amazing. In light of the fact of what we've been given. Let's read in Acts chapter 9. We'll get get to this. Look at there in Acts chapter 9. Look there in... Uh, this is after. We, we, we handled last week. We talked about... Uh, Saul becoming a believer. And now we pick up on Saul's life and what's going to take place with Saul later to be renamed Paul. Look there in verse or in chapter nine and, and just read with me there. We'll start kind of in 19 there after taking some food, he regained his strength. This is after God had uh, struck him down on the road to Damascus. And now Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus, verse 20. And at once, look look what it says there, he began to preach in the synagogues. God gave him an opportunity to to begin to immediately preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God, and all those who heard him were astonished. And they asked, wouldn't they be astonished? He was the man who was persecuting all the Christians. Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on, on, on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? They were confused. They didn't know about Saul's, Paul's conversion experience. Verse 22. Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. And then look what happens. After many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. Not a nice life for these these folks, but uh, very familiar with death. A lot of the apostles and the disciples a very, very precarious existence for them. After many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. Verse 24, but Saul learned of their plan, and day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. Verse 25, but his followers took him by night, and they lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. And when he came to Jerusalem, this is the part I want to I want to pick on today. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples but but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. Well, they were afraid for their lives. Paul stood at Stephen's stoning. Paul stood there and watched Stephen be stoned. He literally threw people in prison because of the gospel. So the apostles were afraid of, for their very lives, right? Then look at verse 27. Here's who I want to talk about today. Really interesting. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Grecian Jews, but they tried to kill him. (laughs) Stop. I'm going to talk to you about something today that's um, easily, I, I just, I'm guaranteeing you, that's easily uh, as hard for me to talk about as it is for you to hear uh, because I, I'm, I really have a problem uh, in my life as well as we all do and as it relates to what, it, what peace really looks like in our lives, what reconciliation really looks like in our lives. I am completely aware as I begin to speak to you about this today that many of you have deep, deep, deep roots into the ground, into the spiritual soil or into the into your heart of hate and anger. I'm, I'm aware of it, of bitterness. I'm aware of it. The Lord's aware of it. Sometimes I would have to confess to you the sin of the preacher's heart, which is the sin of cynicism. Does anything I say ever make any difference? Well, there, You know what the truth of that is? Nothing I say ever has any makes any difference. But what the Lord does with what I say makes a difference, right? But maybe you're cynical too. If you're like me, I can sit down in front of a preacher and say, Well, man, I can hear the scriptures. Nothing's going to get through to me on that issue. So tell me, what's that all about? Maybe you're there today in that. So as we talk about peace, as we talk about this idea of of Barnabas coming, and he actually does this, this unbelievable reconciliation between the apostles and between Paul. How in the world did Barnabas ever find out about Paul's story to even go to the apostles? He obviously took a risk, didn't he? He obviously saw himself, follow this now, he obviously saw himself as an interceder, as a reconciler, as a peacemaker. What does it say? Blessed are the peacemakers, right? In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verse 9. For they will be called sons of God. Let me stop there and ask you, when was the last time that you or I were involved in a peace mission in our lives? Seriously. With our wives. With our girlfriends. With our boyfriends. With our friends. When was the last time you were involved on a peace-keeping mission? Or how about, let's change the word, peace-making mission in your life? It doesn't say, uh, blessed are the troublemakers, for they will be sons of God. Blessed are the dissension makers, for they will be sons. Blessed are the big talking people who like to talk about things, for they are the sons of God. Talking as much to myself as I am to you. Are you kidding me? In, real, in, in a real way, I don't want peace. I don't want to forgive. I, I kind of like the drug of bitterness. I like that cup. That tastes good. Kind of like Jack Daniels. Kind of stings a little bit, but then it kind of tastes good. Warms the throat, doesn't it? It's exactly, exactly what this is like. But I want to talk to you about something real quick before we get into the direct issue of this idea of Barnabas bringing these two people together. And I want to talk to you about what I call peace purpose. There is a purpose that God, when you read through biblical history and you read through the Scriptures, you'll see that this is the great purpose of God. And God has two purposes as it relates to peace. Follow this now. He has this purpose, which you would call a vertical purpose. If this is man and this is God, God wants peace in this vertical way between himself and man. He provides a cross. That's Jesus to bring about reconciliation. Do you follow? Don't be misled, though, as you look through the the Gospels and you read and you see Jesus and you see what he talks about. God also wants reconciliation and peace between us. It's not an ideal. It's something that he he basically considers as completely normative in our existence as Christ following apprentices. It's true. It's not something that we have a choice to do. It's something that he actually would say, I want you to do this. I want you to love each other. I want you to love your neighbor. That's important to see this purpose because Christ came to make peace. Follow this now. To establish in peace in here. Let me give it to you. Peace is about the establishing of a right relationship. Between two parties. Christ came to establish a right relationship between us and God. His sacrifice on the cross makes that possible. But Christ also came to call His people to peace. Man to man, woman to woman, woman to man. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Christ was the ultimate peacemaker the peacemaker and so so it's important for you to get this there's christology involved there's the theology of christ involved here which is this barnabas was doing the very thing that jesus did and that's and that's important for you and i to make that connection as we go about navigating in our lives this next week as we are peacemakers we're emulating christ no do you get that we actually believe that Jesus lived, he died, he rose again, he's on earth, and what he says to us to do, we want to do. It's not a good idea, it's not a kind of a cool thing sometimes, it's something that we actually have said, that's how we want our lives to be. Barnabas had no doubt heard the beatitude. No doubt had, bar, had bar, He had definitely heard the fact that Jesus said, I want you to be a peacemaker. I want you to make peace very difficult I've told you many times about my, my problems that I have with people I still have problems with people and guess who a lot of the problem with people is it's me it's my, it's my selfishness it's my profound need to be right good grief are you like me at all I don't want peace Randy teased me last week and he said you, you, you don't like peace you like to fight that's true I do like to fight I love it I love to mix it up good grief and then of course when I'm fighting I want to be right well that's great no, it's good right?. you know but think about this good grief I have such an unbelievable pension it's not about healing or peace it's about what it's about me I guess so when, when Barnabas, here, Barnabas, you've got to see yourself, Barnabas, Barnabas was the recipient, right? Right? Is that right? Barnabas was the recipient of this grace. Barnabas was the recipient of God's love expressed to him through Jesus, and he, made the, he, he connected the two dots. He said, now I want to be the giver of that. That's how it is. And so that's how that's what's going on is why he would even go to Paul and say, Paul, what in the world is going? Who are you? What are you about? You're a murderer last week and this week. Now you're like going to be one of the top apostles. Tell me what in the world's gone on. There's apparently the other apostles weren't willing to do that. They were all wanting to kind of hide away from Paul. Haven't we want don't we do that in conflict? Don't we do that in a problem? Many of us are phenomenal hiders, aren't we? But I want you to understand that there is a peace purpose involved now before I go on to this right here Before I go on to this this fighting for peace and what it means to fight for peace in our lives in our relationships I want to ask you something here Are you at peace with your lord? Think about it for a minute Are you at peace with your god? Have you opened up your hands and just said, Lord, I'm at peace with where you have me now in this life. In the midst of maybe your struggle that you have. In the midst of maybe the pain. Are you willing to open up your hands like we talked about last week and say, God, you're good. I'm at peace with you. For many of us, if we were to be very honest, we would probably have to admit that I'm not at peace with my God. For whatever reason, for whatever's going on, let me just make sure you understand something. God wants peace with His sons and daughters. He wants us to be at peace with Him. And now that peace may not look like exactly like you think it does. But peace in this sense is a peace, a deep peace in knowing that I am in a right relationship with my Creator God, that I trust Him, that I believe Him, Are you at peace with that? It's a very important question for you to answer. Pray. Think about that question. Are you at peace with the Lord? There's been many weeks of my life, there's been many months of my life where I was the WWF wrestler against the Lord. Right? Cape on, crazy underwear, whatever you want to see it as. I was the guy who stood up against the Lord and I. this is what I did not want. I am not at peace with you, Father. I especially had those times when some of my my, uh, my daughters were struggling with where they were at in their faith. That was a terrible time for me to deal with. I was, I was not at peace with God. And if you look through the Psalms, do you see God giving David the freedom to not be at peace? Do you see that? You do. And it's okay. But don't give up. God's chasing you down. God's on your tail. He loves his sons and daughters. And he wants to be at peace with us. Good. Second thing fighting for peace. Let me hit on this. Barnabas obviously took Paul, he brought him to the apostles. In Acts chapter 4, Barnabas is formerly named Joseph. He was from Cyprus. And his name, actually, in Acts chapter 4 is what? Do you know? It's called the Son of Encouragement. The son of encouragement. Some translation later say it's this. The son of consolation. You have anybody in your life that encourages you? Huh? Is there anybody in your life that's the son of encouragement to you? That believes in you? What do they say? They say they love you? Huh? They say they care about you? young lady do you do you have an older woman in your life that that is your encourager that consoles your heart loves you do we do that with each other do we encourage each other do we believe in each other i remember the day that i had my first little league game That was a day when you wore these old cotton baseball uniforms that were really baggy and big. And I thought this was the biggest day of my life. And I got to the field and I was all excited about it, you know. And the coach puts up the lineup and I wasn't in it. And the worst possible thing in all the world was that my dad was at the ball game. Came, you know, he had to be at all my ball games. Why was it so bad? Well, because I wasn't playing. <laughs> right? So frustrated, sweating on the bench. I wanted to get my uniform dirty too. I remember that day after we went, you know, of course we, we lost. And I, I, you know, it was like the old statement, the scrubs get to go in on the last inning. So I got to go in and play right field, worst position possible. Nobody hits the right field. My dad was apparently really interested in that day because he was interested in me and wanting me to make sure that I understood that the fact that I didn't play baseball that day didn't have anything to do with the fact that I still wasn't his son. What you do on the baseball field doesn't have anything to do with the fact that you're my son and that I love you. And my dad would oftentimes in my life look at me and say, I believe in you. You have somebody that does that for you, even as an adult. Have you ever said that to somebody? Have you ever looked at your friend and said, I believe in you? I just want you to know that despite the hell you're in right now, I just, I love you. I just love you. You're awesome. This is what Barnabas was like. He's one of these special persons. He heard about the news that was going on with with Paul and he said, I'm going to go talk to Paul. I'm going to handle this. You ever had anybody like that? You ever know anybody like that? I'm going to, I'm going to handle this. I'm going to go and bring these two people together. That's what it means to be a peacemaker. Let's follow. Barnabas was a fighter for peace. Now remember in the verse, when we read the verse, the verse says, blessed are the peacemakers. Remember, the verse doesn't say blessed are the peace lovers. There's a lot of difference between loving peace and making peace. Follow this now. You can actually love peace but not make peace. Did you hear what I said? You can actually love peace but not make peace. Many people love peace so much that they dysfunctionally pile up all kinds of relational trouble. They refuse to make peace by diving in and taking the action that the situation demands. I was talking with a young lady this last week. And she's doing something that all of us find very joyous. She's going back home to visit her parents over the 4th of July. (laughs) And it was a struggle for her because she was struggling with the idea that mom and dad, even though she's 28 years old, still treat her like a 12-year-old girl. You you guys familiar with any of that? By the way, just let let me make sure you hear something. Sometimes mom and dad don't know what you think they know. Like, you think that you have all these expectations that they're like these older adult people who have all the relational uh, um, uh, what avenues set and done, and they're really good at it. They're not good at it. They suck at it, just like you do. And some of them are asking questions like, oh, my gosh, how do I even navigate how to handle my adult daughter who's having a baby or who's not having a baby, or who's going to get married, or my adult son? Some of them are just as confused as you are confused about your life right now. Believe it. I'm just telling you that from an old fart. It's the truth. So sure enough, she's wondering about how what's going to happen because every time she goes home, her parents tell her all the kinds of things that she's going to do. She doesn't get to be on vacation. She has to go do all these things at mom and dad. And I looked at her and I said, Well, do you just tell them no? I don't, I'm not doing that. And she looks at me and she almost starts to cry. She says, I can't do that. How how could I ever tell my mom that? You you can do it. But the fact of the matter is, is that as we were talking, I began to find out something about her, and here's what it is. She wants and believes, actually, she wants peace so much that she's willing to shut her mouth to get it. Nobody's ever going to know about her pain. Nobody's ever going to know about her stuff because she wants peace so she has equated peace with silence. Is that peace? Well, it obviously wasn't for her because inside her was Niagara. She, she may have peace out here, but she didn't have peace in here. So is that peace? No. But sometimes we can love peace so much that we forget that making peace is different. Did you know that making peace is a struggle? It usually involves some kind of suffering and struggle. It usually involves some kind of fight. Is it worth it? Young lady, um, newly married, is it worth it to sit down and talk with your your husband about how you feel about your sexual relationship? Is it worth it looking at somebody that's in your koinonia group and saying, I I just need to talk with you because I want peace, (laughs) I want healing. I want the Lord's help. Is it worth it? Is it worth it looking at your husband, your your wife, your friends, your mom and dad? Barnabas actually had to go and listen to Paul. Do you hear that? He actually had to go and hear Paul. He actually had to take Paul by the hand. The verse here is this. When when you see there, it says, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. The literal translation is, I'm actually grabbing a hold of Kendall's arm and I'm taking him into the room to handle his stuff between he and June. Wow. You ever done that? That's the idea. That's, That's how much he was willing to fight for peace. It's good. Now, let me close by saying a few things. Barnabas saw himself differently because of the gospel, and it's important for us to make that connection. I've already hit on it. But Barnabas saw himself... Let me make sure you get this. Barnabas saw himself as a grace mercenary. Do you get that? He was literally a mercenary of grace. He was a soldier of grace. He saw himself as a guy who brought people together, who really believed that the Lord could forgive people, who really believed that it's okay to talk about things. And by the way, I want us to start believing that and thinking about that a lot more. It's possible. He stepped into the middle of a very hostile situation and he closed the space. So if the apostles were here and here was Paul... He steps into the middle to do what? To close this space between them. To bring them all both together. To create what's called oneness and unity. I want to tell you something, and I've told you this before, but it's very important that you all hear this. For our church, for your friendships, for your marriage. The chief plight of Satan will be to create division and dissension in all of the relationships that we are involved in. It's true. Division and dissension. If it's your marriage, the idea would be for your wife to be have a total and completely different life than you do. And for you as a husband, for you to have a, a life and you kind of some way, in some way, crazy way, connect in some orbit at 10 o'clock on certain nights. But you're not together. You're not one. The same thing holds true in friendships. Satan's bullseye is our relationships, and he wants to create space. The gospel provides us the power and the strength to close the space. So when you come together with your girlfriend, your husband, your friend, your, somebody in your koinonia group, you carry the gospel with you, you have the mantle of responsibility, glorious responsibility, to close the space. And rather than sitting down around the fire of reconciliation and entering the deep struggle with each other and fighting for unity, we've got to look at the fact that many times we actually want to live lives of deep resentment and bitterness and hate. I've told some of you before, and for those of you that are new here, um, please just excuse me, this is going to be house business, but we're way past the honeymoon here at Old 12 South. Now we're in the mode where it's going to be really easy for us to just do nothing but just completely bitch at each other. It's true you live with each other long enough and you're just gonna get you just get so furious with each other that people begin to stink And then what happens is is we're not going to talk to each other about it But here's what we will do We're going to go someplace else and we're going to talk to somebody else about that person That's called dissension So the very thing that god wants us to do we don't do but we do the opposite Don't do that It's okay to have conflict with someone and it's okay to have a misunderstanding. The Bible calls us to go and communicate with that person. It's really true. It's really... I I don't mean to sound that it's oversimple. I'm not trying to oversimplify it. It's just something that Barnabas did and it's something that I think we need to seriously look at in our lives. We live in the alternative world of grace and peace. A world of ungrace and... And and no peace is not what God has for His children. When we finally do get together, it's about reconciliation. It's about peace. Follow this now. It's not about being who's right and who's wrong. It's not about winning. Guess what it's about? It's about hearing each other. It's about sitting down with your wife or your friend. And it's about looking at them and saying, Let me know exactly what's happening in your heart right now. Let me engage with what you're going to say to me. I'm approaching this in a humble way, not a way of I want to win. I want to be right. It's really good for us to think about this, you guys. I think it's going to be one of the ways that we're going to impact our world when we can begin to create a culture of forgiveness, grace, and love like this that's actually not something that we do it's something that we are we just we just live in it together and it's okay to be sloppy and messy like that with each other it's hard it's a hard message for us but you know me I'm not afraid I'm not afraid to tell you that I'm just just as feeble as you are in this but I really have an encouragement for us today. I want you to know that because of Barnabas's willing to fight and walk into the absolute craziness of the apostles not liking Paul, because of that, God did a marvelous and beautiful thing. And I want you to know that God gives you and I the strength to do the very thing. Maybe, what is it? Maybe, maybe it's, I, I don't know. Maybe it's a call to stepdad. And maybe it's just a—I just want you to know I love you. Maybe it's a letter. I—I I, maybe it's a—maybe it's the next six months to pray about whatever issue that you have in your hands that you can't let go. But I know this: that God wants us to be a free people that engage in this kind of peace with each other, this kind of peace with our world. It's a good message for us. Think about it. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. We don't want to be like Barnabas. I know that I struggle with it. I know that all of us have struggles. I know that the struggles are many. I know that we don't uh, like to uh, enter uncomfortable situations. We'd much rather just avoid them. (laughs) And Lord, you, you entered an uncomfortable situation for us. You entered the messiness of this world and you brought peace. And I just pray, Lord, that we would bring peace in our relationships, that we would bring peace in our world, that we would bring the peace of the gospel into our own hearts and into the relationships that we're in. It's so good. So uh, do your work in our lives. Uh, Help us. Help us to speak. If uh, words need to be spoken, help us to shut our mouths if uh, that needs to happen. But lead us and direct us and guide us. We pray in your name. Amen.